Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. All right, we're going to dive in part four, rebuild. You ready to go? Let's go. All right, so we have been exploring the rebuilt vision of LifeHouse, which the vision at LifeHouse is we exist to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. And over the past three weeks, we've talked on what does it actually mean to invite people to live this uncommon life, to follow Jesus. And if you have not uh, had the opportunity to listen to those sermons, I want to encourage you to go through our, our podcast or whatever platform is good for you and check those messages out. Because honestly, this series is kind of our it's kind of our blood and guts of who we are at LifeHouse, of what we feel like the vision that God has given us for this city. And like I said last week, typically sometimes I think whenever churches, they share vision with you, sometimes you can say it's like, okay, I don't need something else to do, right? It's like, I just come to church to get fed, get my deal, and get out. But honestly, this stuff here, whenever we're sharing this vision with you, is not what we're trying to get from you, something we're trying to get to you. Well, what we're praying is, is that your life would be a life marked by following Jesus, doing, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. So over these next few weeks, th- three more exactly, we're going to explore this vision in depth. But today I want to talk to you about doing life together. Can you just say that with me? Doing life together. I don't know if you've seen this or noticed this, but it's, it's kind of uncommon in our world right now to be doing life together, even within the church. We are marked right now by a time of great division. I don't know if you've noticed this. Just turn on your social media page. I mean, you have Christians, it's to say, and I'm not saying like those that aren't Christians. I'm talking about Christians. Like Christians are losing their minds over things that are dividing us, like masks or no masks, vaccination, no vaccination politics how did you vote and and really i think covid has kind of exacerbated this where where like there and i mean if you were to talk about or if you were to define the church one thing that you probably would not say about the church is they're really good at doing life together we would probably say they're more good at doing life divided or doing life dysfunctional rather than say doing life together But this is one of the passions and visions of our church is that we would have a church that says the uncommon life that Jesus calls us to is a life that says as a church family, as a church body, we do life together. That does not mean we all look the same, talk the same, vote the same, act the same, but that we do life together. I think there's a couple big barriers. There is a couple main reasons why the church in particular struggles doing life together. And if you were to break those down into two big categories, I would say it is first off division and secondly dysfunction. Division and dysfunction. And like I said, the divisions in the church run deep, right? That's even why we have denominations. It's because churches are divided on what they believe 
about the Bible. You can't even see, though. Divisions, they even run deeper, like I said, with COVID going on, social stuff going on, politics going on. And unfortunately, division has caused us. This is what division has done within the church. And one, and, and one pastor said this really, really good. He said, he knows that division is demonic because it keeps moving. Because one, one year it can be black versus white, red versus green. It can be vaccination, non-vaccination, mask, no masks. And that, and he made this great point, and he said, that's how he knows division is something that is demonic. Because it keeps moving. We keep finding something else to get mad at each other over. We keep finding something else to get ticked off each other for. And let me tell you, the, the reason, the main reason that I feel plugs into this whole division thing is, is because we define ourselves, we define each other by secondary things. We define each other by secondary things. Paul, right? Paul, like, you know, I think we think this whole division thing is just, a, you know, our church thing. In biblical times, this was the same thing going on. Like Paul, he was writing to churches that he planted that were going through incredible division. And one church especially that was divided as heck was the church in Galatia. So Paul wrote a letter to them to talk about this division that they had within the church. And one of the things that Paul said, he said this in Galatians 3.28. He said this. We are no longer Jews or Greeks or slaves or free men or even merely men or women. But we are all the same. We are Christians. We are one in Christ Jesus. And what Paul is saying here is stop defining yourselves by, by the thing that is secondary. And start primarily defining yourselves by what is primary. That in the body of Christ... What brings us together is not where you're from, Jews or Greeks. It's not your social status, slave or free. It's not your gender. As a Christian, what binds us together first is the fact that we are one in Christ Jesus. One in Christ Jesus. But the thing is, division will creep in if we define each other by secondary things. Black, white, rich, poor, men, women, vaccinated, unvaccinated. And it is absolutely flabbergasted me how we have let division creep into the church. And there is nothing more that the devil would want. If he can't kill us, he'll divide us. And that is what he has done. But the thing is this, it's not just division that is a barrier to doing life together it's also dysfunction and by dysfunction i mean relational dysfunction let's just be honest we all walk in here with some sort of relational dysfunction because you have hurts you have wounds you have deficits you've got some pride <laughs> now i'm just talking about me i'm not even talking about you i just i just bring my deficits my wounds my hurts and my wounds i mean you know, but it's like all of us bring in deficits and wounds and some sort of stuff, and we bring it into a church. And then we wonder why church is so hard to be a place to build relationships in. Because we all bring a certain form of dysfunction. 
You know, just, just think about it. Like some of, of you come into church and you're so superficial because you don't want people to actually see the real you. So you're so good at putting on this, this front. And really the root of that is some pride. Some of you struggle with codependency because you've got relational deficits in the past. Some of you are preference-based. Like, you know, you basically say, does this person add something to my life? If not, get away from me. Some, some, of, some of you, you have been so hurt and you just want to be isolated. And so you, you do the whole Lone Ranger thing. And you say, I'm, I'm never going to let somebody hurt me again. But really what you're saying is, I'm not going to let somebody love me again either. Because the same thing that you need to be loved opens you up to being hurt. And some of you, you have had church hurt. And you've opened yourself up. And then you had people do stupid things and say stupid things and hurt you. And so you've said, I'm going to come to church, get in, get my message, and get out. No one's going to know me. So here's the thing, right? We got division and we got dysfunction. Welcome to Lifehouse. Praise God. We're a great church. But the fact is, is that if we don't understand the barriers to doing life together, I don't think we ever will do life together. And we've got to acknowledge these things. Like we've got to acknowledge the fact that within us is some sense and some proclivity to be divisive and to some, and or to be dysfunctional. We bring these things in, and, 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 and then it's like, no wonder it's so hard for us to do life together. And, and really, when it's actually crazy, because when you actually see what Jesus longed for, even while Jesus, right, here's the thing, right, Jesus, he had a best friend, I guess you could say, was the apostle John, who was sort of his closest disciple. And one of the things John did, he actually wrote, wrote a gospel called the Gospel of John. And within that gospel, he actually recorded a prayer that Jesus prayed right before he went to the cross, right before he went into Passion Week. And John wrote this prayer down, and it's found in John chapter 17. And y'all just, like, I think sometimes we can miss the weight of this. Like, this is Jesus praying. Like, this is Jesus, like, like if Jesus was going to pray for something, this is one of the things that Jesus prayed for let's let's check this out here like i said this is the gospel of john chapter 17 he says i am praying not only for these disciples he's talking about his 12 but for all who will ever believe in me through their message so, so do you know who he's praying for here y'all us me he says i pray that they will all be one and he's praying to his father just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, I am in you. And then he says this, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. He says, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience, this, this prayer rocked me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love me. And, and that you love them as much as you love me. May they experience such perfect unity. Why? So people would see that this Jesus, this Christian thing is actually legit. Could there be a correlation between why people think we're a bunch of big fat hypocrites and the lack of unity within the church? 
I think so. This was a prayer that Jesus prayed. May they experience this perfect unity. The thing is this, right? The church started off actually in great unity. The historian Luke actually wrote a book of the Bible called Acts, which was a historical recorded account of the early church. And one of the things that, that Luke records as being a summary that, that he did or, or that he gave of the early church is actually found in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, which says, which says this here. They, and they being Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. Were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. This is the church in its earliest form. And one of the things that, that they said was about the church is they were together. They did life together. They were actually answering the prayer of Jesus. And so what if it was said about Lifehouse? They were together. Not that they all looked the same, act the same, talk the same, voted the same, but there was a supernatural unity there. There was a supernatural unity where they did not define each other by what was secondary, but defined each other by what was primary. What if it was said about our church, Lifehouse was together? That would be a miracle, let's just be honest. Because when a church is together, it's doing life together, that is a relational miracle. And that is the heart, the vision of this church. That, okay, John, that's all great. How do we do it? I got some thoughts. You're welcome. Let's talk about it. How do we do life together at LifeHouse? This is not comprehensive, but I feel like these are some of the main things that if we're gonna actually do life together, these are some things that we have to, cons that we have to consider and put into the mix. First off, we gotta gain God's perspective of people. We have to gain God's perspective of people. How you view people matters. Paul, whenever he was talking uh, about people, uh, whenever he was talking about how we should view people actually said this in 2 Corinthians 5. He's, he said this, from now on, we regard nobody from a worldly point of view. Now, here's the thing. The context here in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 actually says, if you are now in Christ, you are a what? New creation. And what Paul was getting at here is that as a Christian, as someone that is now right with God, that relationship here influences the way you view relationships here. That because God views you differently now, because God sees you not as someone far off, but as someone near because of his son, you now have a different view of other people. You don't have a worldly point of view. You actually have 
God's point of view. John Tyson actually says something powerful here. He says, 2 Corinthians 5.16 means that we no longer filter people based on cultural categories or personal preferences. We have a lens of divine value that sees every person as Christ does. Jesus had a filter of honor for all he encountered. Regardless of the contempt their culture showed them, he saw differently. He didn't see tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, outcasts, or Samaritans. He saw people crowned with glory and worthy of welcome and recognition in the kingdom of God. Lens of divine value. Lens of divine value. Do you have God's perspective of people? Do you filter them through a lens of divine value? The, uh, the, the apostle James wrote, uh, wrote a book of the Bible to, 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 12, to 12 different churches. And one of the things he said was actually found in James chapter 3. And he was talking about the power of the tongue, about the power of our words. But then with that, he flips the script some and talks about the power of our words equating to the way we see people. This is what he says here. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should be not be. He's saying, so in one moment, you're in a worship service praising God. The next moment, you're cursing somebody that was made in the very image of the God you were just worshiping. He says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. When you curse people, when you speak ill of people, when you define people with a secondary measure, you're actually degrading not just them, you're degrading the God that made them. So whenever I say we have to have a lens of divine value, that means this. You can disagree with people all day, but you have to see them as made in the image of God and therefore worthy of honor and value, not because of what they believe, what they think, or how rich they are, or where they're from, but simply because every human being that has breath in their lungs is made in the image of God. And that is God's perspective of people. That is his perspective. And if we are ever going to build community, like real community here, within our church, we have got to see every person as having value and worth simply because they breathe. Because if you don't, then you will view them as something other. You'll view them as, oh, that's that Democrat that's made in the image of God. There's that fill in the blank that's made in the image of God. See, I see, because here's the thing, you can disagree respectfully, but I don't believe you can dis disagree respectfully if you do not have a lens of divine value towards that person, because then you'll look down on them. And, and I'm not saying that doing life together means we're all just going to, you know, look, you know all, all, 
all the same. But if we're going to do life together, we've got to have a lens of divine value. And this includes, you know, James said here, you know, um, you, know you, you worship God one second and then you go and curse people the next second. You know, I think that includes not just what we say, but what we type. They didn't have phones in the day. So I think if Paul would have written a book of the Bible now, it, it would have also been, yeah, um, yeah. so in, in one moment you're praising God, the next second you're, you're saying stuff on Facebook, Instagram. So it's not just what we say, I really believe it's, it's what we type. And if we're going to do life together, y'all, we have got to, by the power and spirit of God, gain his perspective of people. Gain his perspective of people. Secondly, not just gain God's perspective, but secondly, we have to have the right expectations for relationships. Have the right expectations. Isn't it true? Expectations can really make or break something. I always heard it said, expectations are the breeding ground for miracles. I always say expectations are the breeding ground for disappointment. Right? And especially when it comes to relationships. Because honestly, I think the truth is, right, we can sometimes come into church and we just think relationships are going to just be perfect. For anyone that's been in a church, you know that's a load of crap. Why? Because we have division and deficits. We have division and dysfunction. So if, if, if you don't have the right expectations for relationships with, within the church, those lack of having the right expectations can feed towards their, their it's just not relationships not working out. So here's the thing. Some, some expectations we should have. Relationships aren't just for your happiness, they're for your holiness. I know people come into the church just wanting all the relationships to be happy. And when they're not all happy, people get mad and people typically leave. But we've got to say, actually, relationships aren't just to make you happy. Relationships are to actually cultivate more of the character of Jesus inside of you. They're to make you more holy. I know some of y'all thought marriage was just going to be happiness. But then you realize that person on the other side of you at the altar is actually God's tool to make you more like him. You thought they just were going to bring you happiness, not realizing they're the tool that God's going to use to bring you holiness. But if you have the expectation, like this person is just to bring me holiness, or is just to bring me happiness, when things go wonky, when things go cattywampus, as Robert would say. Yes, we... We have a whole Robert cheering, cheering section here. <laughs> then you'll think, well, this relationship, this isn't from God. No. Actually, it could be the relationship that is really from God. Because, you know, I mean, here's the, here's, here's, the, here's the thing. Like, friendships, marriage, church, it's all practice. And what I mean by practice, I simply mean, mean this. It is ground zero for cultivating the character and, and for training you to love like Jesus did. Even Jesus himself 
who could have done life alone, he would, he would have been okay. He did not choose to do it alone. He chose to do it with 12. He chose to do it with people. He said, I am, because I, I think for him, he even knew, I've got to practice loving people that turn their back on me. I've got to practice people that are like, just like Peter. Jesus, I love you. You're the Christ. Next week, I don't know you. Y'all, relationships, they're going to make you happy. There's no doubt. But also, too, if you don't have the right expectation that they're also going to cultivate you and shape you, then I don't know if it's possible to actually do life together. Because trust me, the people that have been in this church a long time, I guarantee I've done something, a leader has done something to tick you off. But I appreciate the fact when people come to me and actually tell me. I appreciate the fact that when people have something going on, that they don't leave. They actually come together and, and they actually talk it out. They actually say, hey, when you said this, I felt like this. When you did that, I felt like that. And because, y'all, look, it's just the thing. If you're going to do life together in a church, you've got to expect that there's going to be some mess. You've got to expect that it's not all gonna, going to go well. But if you have the wrong expectations, you won't dig in and work it out. You'll bail. But the thing is, whenever you bail, you're creating a cycle. Because then you're going to go to the next church. And you're going to be like, oh, everyone's going to make me happy. But then when you got the stuff, oh, peace. So you're just creating a cycle. And people stunt their growth when they don't work it out. You stunt your growth when you don't say there's problems, let's work it out, let's talk it out. Relationships are to cultivate the character of Christ in you. Second, ex second expectations. Relationships were meant to complement, not complete. Let me say that one more time. Relationships were meant to complement, not complete. What completes you is Jesus. And when you take good people and, make the, and put them within the place of God, they become bad, bad, they become bad people. And what I mean by that is this. If, it's just like, how many of you expected your spouse to complete you? I kind of did. And she didn't. Love you, baby, wherever you are. But Jesus is what ultimately completes you, and relationships should complement you. Because whenever you, you take a good person and put them within the place of God, you put a a godlike expectation on someone that cannot meet it. And that can be the pastor. That can be your small group leader. That can be somebody in your, in your life that you really, really love and that you put in this place of kind of just like godlike status figure. But that was never meant to be the point. You've got to let Jesus complete you and then have people compliment you. Why? Because when, whenever we take good people and put them within the place of God, they're going to fail you. I know I'm going to fail all of y'all at some place and point. I'm an imperfect pastor. We have imperfect leaders. We are an imperfect church. And so if you take myself or you take some other leader in the church and you put us in the place of God, I mean, I, man, I can't bear that weight. Our leaders can't bear that weight. But when, when, you, when you realize, like, you need God to complete you. 
You need Jesus to fill those deep, empty spots in you. You need Jesus to forgive you of your sin. You need Jesus to complete you. When you put God in his rightful place, then relationships will fall into their rightful place. But God has got to be in his rightful place. Relationships are meant to complement, not complete. Thirdly, third, the, the third expectation. Conflict is inevitable when you're trying to do life together. And you guys know this. Conflict is inevitable. You can even see this, right? In, in, uh, in what was it, Acts chapter 2. They were together. Beautiful, perfect. Acts chapter 6, probably a couple weeks later, there was conflict. Acts chapter 6 says this here. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, so it was growing. The church was growing. It was going great. Their, you know, the stuff they were doing, out, you know, outreaches were doing great. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that they were widows being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, and are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, and I'm not going to even try and read those names, okay? Philip procures Nick and our time on, okay, you get the point. But it said, these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them and laid their hands on them. And it says this, so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So do you see what started off here? There was a conflict. There was actually some discrimination going on. And instead, like, then it says they got all the believers together. And they talked about it. And they developed a plan to delegate. And everyone liked the plan. And then the plan, they put the plan to work, and the plan worked, and then they continued to grow. Wouldn't it be great if this was said about the church? There was a problem, and it didn't say they went and gossiped in their corners and built teams, and then they split the church. It said, no, they got together, talked it out, developed a plan, delegated, put it into practice, and then the church continued to grow. Conflict is inevitable, but my heart is that not if, but when conflict happens, whether it's individually, corporately, within our church, that we would then say, let's talk about it, let's develop a plan, and, and let's do what we gotta do so we can continue the mission that God has called us to. The church was growing, they worked through their conflict, and the church continued to grow. That is, that is the heart of doing life together, is we have a mission, y'all. We have a purpose, y'all. We are called to grow and be the church of Jesus Christ. But when there is conflict, when there is division, and we don't work through it, then the church is hindered. Like, I know many of you have been a part of churches you've loved, and then there's been conflict, and the conflict has destroyed the church because it was not dealt with in a Christ-God-honoring way. And, but y'all, we can't be ignorant enough to not think at, at LifeHouse we're going to be conflict-free. But I would ask, like, if you ever have a time where you, like, you feel the conflict's happening, 
the, the, there is something going on. It said, it said rumblings of discontent. If you have a rumbling of discontent, you, if you got that bubble guts of discontent, of something going on, would you tell somebody? Would you tell one, myself or one of our church leaders? Because I know this, when there is unaddressed conflict, that conflict will grow. It, it will multiply. And then if you start to tell one person, and then, and then that one person tells some, some different person, and then it just multiplies. It gets to this point where it's, it, and if you just talked about it and got it out there, it would have probably been dealt with. So why? Because it grows you and it grows the church. How many of you know that in relationships, it, it really almost seems like whenever you have a big moment of conflict, right on the other side of that conflict is a great season of growth. Have you experienced this? May, may, maybe my marriage is just really, really weird, but when Kristen and I have a season of great conflict, or conflict meaning like just something isn't right, and then we can just try to get by, and oh, you know, well, maybe it's just me, but until we address that conflict, it's just not right. But as we address it and as we deal with it, right on the other side of that conflict is great intimacy. And I think sometimes individually and corporately, because churches can be afraid of conflict because of stuff that's happened in, in the past, because dealing with conflict's hard, we actually stunt the growth of the church and what it's called to do. So can we have the right expectations of saying, yo, at Lifehouse, we should expect conflict. Isn't that just a great thought? Praise God. Okay, thirdly, to do life together. Gain, gain God's perspective of people have the right expectations for relationships. And lastly, we've got to prioritize relationships. Because I don't know about you, the way the culture has framed church, whether whether intentionally or it's happened unintentionally. Church has become something you go to. And so you go to church, you get your service in, and then you can just leave and walk out. And the thing is, relationship becomes optional. And I just don't ever think that God created the church just to be a place you go to. It becomes a people, a group of people that you become a part of. And a part of that is simply means this, that like you, you intentionally try to prioritize relationships. Because I don't know of, uh, about you, right? So, you know, before we started Lifehouse, I was on staff at a pretty large church, and there was this one girl. We were trying to recruit people to join, uh, to join small groups, and I remember talking to this one girl. I was like, hey, you know, you know, have you joined a small group yet? And she was like, no, pastor. I just, I just like to come to church, get my word in, and get out. I don't want to know anybody. It's like, okay. That's one way of doing it. But I don't know if that's God's way of doing it. 
I don't know if church was just created and built just to be something that you go and get the word, which is great, which is awesome, which is good. But then you walk out and no one knows your name. No one knows your, your specific needs. No one knows your specific struggles. No one knows you. I think the church was created to be a place where we actually come and, and we actually intentionally say, whether organically or whether systematically, I want to actually prioritize being in relationship with other Christians, with other believers, with other people that call the church home. One of the things, Hebrews 10, 25, it, sa it says this here, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And the writer of Hebrews here is specifically saying like, don't, like, don't stop meeting together because as some were in the habit of doing in that day, that, you know, and, and it's like kind of to, to, to do life together, you have to almost like intentionally say, I'm not going to stop meeting together. I'm not going to stop going to things that are going on. And then he says this, why? To encourage each other. One of the things I love about services like, like, like this is being in a room like this should encourage you. And that's, what, and that's what we ultimately hope is that you see you're not in this thing by yourself. You're not following Jesus alone. You've got people that look different, very different. Some are old and young and black and white and rich and poor and male and female. And that we are all coming to this thing saying, Jesus, we need you and this should encourage you that you are not in this thing by yourself. But honestly, what would it look like for a church to prioritize relationships instead of running from relationships? Because I, because I guarantee the word of God is good and it can be preached and I, I pray it blesses you every single week. But at the same time, I believe you're only getting half of the good stuff if you just get the word, but you don't get a relationship here. And yes, I know it's hard. I know it's ugly. I know it can be messy. I know you've been hurt. I know you've got some dysfunction. I know sometimes, you know, like I, I, I get it. I know it's real. I know it's true. I've lived it. It can be hard to open your life up. It can be hard to people get to know you and know your struggles and know your name and know stuff about you. But what I would say is that it's worth the risk. It is worth the risk. But if we, don't if we don't prioritize it, it won't happen. But also too, like just relationships can, can be really hard to do because we're so busy. Anyone else there? I saw this, this Facebook post that, that I thought was pretty funny. You can check this out. He says, trying to make friends as an, uh, as an adult. Say we should hang. Do not hang. Say we should hang six months later. Cancel. Reschedule. Respect their cancellation. Reschedule. Actually hang. Say we should, we should do this more often. Die. <laughs> and I, mean, this, I mean, this is how hard it can be sometimes to have relationships. 
especially with kids and life and hobbies and all of that stuff. And really, honestly, that's why I'm like, if, if it is not a, a intentional priority, it'll be hard to happen. And really, at LifeHouse, we try to build relationships. We, we say this systematically and organically. Where, where systematically, we simply mean this. We're going to have things in place for you that, that you can get involved in to put almost the ball in your court to get into relationship. So we're going to have small groups. We're going to have life groups. One of the greatest things about serving on uh, or serving within a dream team is having the opportunity to serve side by side with somebody. And as you're serving side by side with somebody, you actually build relationship with them. Is that you get to actually know them as you are serving in a, in a specific ministry. Is you can actually, actually rub shoulders with them and get to know their name and get to know their story. But then also too, individual mentoring. We have people within our church that have said, I want to be mentored. I want to be discipled. And we actually set those relationships up that are, that are kind of like systematic. And so, so yes, we're going to provide systematic opportunities for you to do life together and to be in relationship with others. But also too, I believe a huge part of it has to happen organically. And when we say organically, we mean like meals and coffee and fun and hobbies. Where, where like as you start to actually meet people and as you start to come on Sundays, maybe you would actually step out with somebody like, do you want to go out to lunch? <gasps> or do you want to go and grab coffee? And really organic simply means this, like, like, like you take the initiative. You take the step. And you say, I'm going to actually try, try to organically do life and build relationship with others at LifeHouse. This is the one of the parts of our vision that I see just, just kind of uh, just candidly throwing it out there that I think will be one of the hardest. Why? Because we live in a time of great division and because we all bring in relational dysfunction but also, too, because all of us have so many choices, right? Like, you can decide to just come into the church and, and then walk out and no one knows, knows your name. But my heart, my desire is that it would be said about LifeHouse that they were together, that they actually decided we will do life not apart, not separate. We will do it together. So my question is this, LifeHouse, will we be the answer to Jesus's prayer? Will we be the answer? Will we answer the prayer of Jesus by being so perfectly unified that people would say of LifeHouse, man, they love each other. They've got some conflict. They're not perfect. They're a little weird. They got a stuttering pastor. It's kind of strange. But they do life together. They have God's perspective of people. They got the right expectations for relationships and they actually prioritize it. My heart is that the vision of doing life together would not be something that is just on a, on a statement, but is actually something 
that we actually live. Can we stand up, church? Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us next Sunday online or in person. For service times, visit lifehousenn.com.